Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. The two-piece band is back together after a couple of week hiatus. Happy New Year to you, KJ. Same to you, Tommy. Same to you. We won't uh, relive our uh, Xmas and New Year's uh, experiences, other than to say I hope uh, you and the family had a good time and all is well. We did. Grandbabies are happy, uh, which means uh, Poppy and Gangan are happy. Uh, we have different uh, names for uh, the family members uh, in our family. I won't share them necessarily, but we had a good Christmas as well. And uh, so that was all happy, which is good, because on the Florida State front, there hadn't been much happy since uh, about December 31st. Uh, whether you go football or basketball or tiddlywinks, things have uh, kind of turned sour. It's a been a bit. rough start to 2016. <laughs> we need to just back this up and uh, start again. But uh, uh, we got a good show for you. Of course, Tim Linnefelt will join us in a little bit, and uh, we will dissect uh, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl with him. Also, talk some basketball which uh, you know you can look at that game the other night two ways it's, it's certainly more exciting to see what florida state in my opinion does offensively but to also disappointing that they're not playing a lick of defense right now defense has left the house just like elvis yes exactly so we'll get into that and north carolina oh, by the way is a pretty good football team and with it, or basketball too basketball too excuse me that's actually what i meant Baylor was probably a better football team this year than north carolina i'm thinking football because the championship game is uh, monday night uh, in case you weren't aware Florida State's not in it. Clemson is in it. And, it, you know, the Knoll Nation seems to be a little divided on who they're going to root for in this. Uh, some people are all in for the ACC. Others are never for a rival. Where do you, where do you sit? I'm at? all in for the ACC. Yeah, I, I sort of am too. And it occurred to me, uh, now we'll see. It's obviously a tall challenge, although I think it's going to be a really intriguing matchup. I, I, I like the game and the matchup a lot. It, it occurred to me that after, FSU, or after the ACC finally got off the College World Series schneid, Virginia is the reigning college baseball champs and duke is the reigning college basketball champ so if clemson gets it done the acc will have the big three with had, north, not, had not thought about that. and then you have north carolina and duke that'll go after it in basketball again uh, among others so kind of interesting i mean Very. Not, not that that's going to mean there'll be an acc network tomorrow and even that aside it would just be nice to see clemson get it done in my opinion and, and the acc could claim two out of three well, and just like uh, many Florida State basketball faithful are kind of following Iowa basketball, who uh, have knocked off two top 20 programs in the last couple of games because that's a loss, and the committee weighs that come uh, seeding time, uh, it'd just be good if Clemson goes ahead and wins it all, A, for the conference, and B, because you lost to them. And then as it relates to Iowa, the better way to handle that is just win 10 or 11 conference games. Then you don't have to worry about all your RPI and other, you know, if Florida State could get there, we wouldn't be sweating that. All right. Uh, I was talking on the championship game. Uh, I do need to remind you that uh, this segment, as always, is brought your way by Madison Social. And uh, lo and behold, not surprisingly, Madison Social has a social event scheduled for Monday night. It is a uh, support thy foe social. Uh, wear orange. You get a free shock top with an orange. Well, let me tell you. A, I may go and support but i ain't wearing orange <laughs> understand <laughs> i'll pay for my own drink are you interested in a drink with an orange uh no not interested well i don't know i'd have to think well, about that have to think about that i have a i have a rule and and the rule is that i don't need fruit with my beer that's pretty much my rule i don't know where you stand on that but that's kind of my that's kind of my <laughs> rule of thumb anyway uh, for those of you who do uh you know wear some orange get a free shock top with a free orange or just go without your orange and have a good time at madison social as uh you, you always do just not wear an orange tummy <laughs> I'm, I'm with you i'm with you on that all right so uh tim linnefeld as i mentioned will join us later that there's news to talk about involving uh Jalen Ramsey and Roberto Aguayo, who are both going pro. But uh, before they, we get into that, I feel like we just need to let's just have the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl conversation and get it over with and turn the page. You and I have not debriefed about this at all, so I'll let you weigh in first. Well, my my first observation is, and I know that the majority of the people I've listened to and 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 have talked with said that the kids were prepared for the game. I still don't know that that's an accurate statement. I I still think. Um, the program because of the youth hasn't gotten to the point where they fully respect every opponent which you have to do in order to maintain uh greatness and i i just think that there was in the back of some at least some of the kids minds that we're not playing for the championship and 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 this this new year six thing is a new thing 
and and it's Houston, and we ain't played them since Jones was 50 pounds lighter and lost to them in 78. We're just going to go out there and go through the motions. Uh, now, that being said, I could very much be wrong. That's up for the coaches and those that are around the program. But that was my first observation. Second observation was that that individually certain of the kids began pressing, most notably McGuire uh, when he came back from the injury, and just made some really boneheaded plays. The mix-up between Jalen and, 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 and Brutus, um, you know, J.J. going in, we, we know J.J. can throw the ball. He's not going to drop back there and wait 17 seconds to get sacked. Uh, there was just a, 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 a comedy of little things that all added up to a big thing, and and I'll give the kids credit for fighting back and, and keeping it close and staying in the ball game, as it were, certainly for Sean coming back from that sprained ankle uh, the way that he did. But it, it just didn't feel right from the get-go, and it didn't turn out well. I didn't have a great feeling about the game going in necessarily. I, I want to. Um, I agree with your general sentiment, although I do want to caution that, that I don't want to paint the picture that Florida State took Houston lightly because I don't think that's accurate. Big picture. I think Houston's a pretty good football team, by the way. Well, you uh, and I we, agreed. That we they we were talked about that ahead of time, and I, you know, we had Ted Pardee, the radio analyst, on before the game. And I don't remember his direct quote, but it was along the lines of everybody we play is surprised at how physical we are. Well, guess what? I can tell you being on the sidelines and at that game that Florida State got surprised by how physical Houston was. Now, that's not that they weren't prepared or took them lightly, but I do think that in the early going, Houston took it to Florida State, not the other way around. Then McGuire got hurt and the wheels came a little further off the track and Florida State just dug too big a hole. Now, in regard to the pressing, I definitely saw some of that because they renewed focus at the start of the third quarter. And, you know, they got Houston off the field a couple times. The offense scored a touchdown. And really the halftime talk was, uh, you know, paraphrasing Jimbo. It was, you want to know how we win this game? There's no magic. There's no magic button. There's no easy button for this. You go out and you win every play and do what you're supposed to do. Don't make the hero play, which is a lot of coach speaky here. But I saw a lot of hero plays in there. Demarcus Walker didn't set the edge a couple times that led to, to big plays. McGuire was forcing balls that he didn't need to force. Early third quarter when they started coming back, they were just minding their P's and Q's, doing what they're supposed to, and but but the hole got too big. So I saw both of those things. But I don't I don't think collectively from a program standpoint, they took Houston lightly. Uh, I, I think Jimbo and his staff, to the best they can, you know, impressed that Houston was a really good team. I do agree that maybe it's human nature because it's a young team that that some and that, of the guys that, individually that's my may have bigger point is it was a young team. The only criticism that that I can mount of the ball game would be directed at Jimbo. Uh, from the standpoint that he, he appeared to get very stubborn, particularly in the second half, uh, about how he was using Dalvin. And I certainly would have tried to get Dalvin out in space and quit running him in between the tackles. I'd have moved him. To, I don't know if he's equipped, but I'd have moved him to the slot or I'd run some uh, hide routes or some, some routes out in the flat, just finding different ways to get him the ball away from the line of scrimmage, uh, tackle to tackle, um, because he's just valuable uh, doing that. And uh, so that would be the only criticism that I would really mount. Uh, uh, and But I don't know how, how well Dalvin's equipped to do that. I just know we've seen him do it, and I would have tried it a little bit. Yeah, and I think I, I would agree with that as well. We'll talk more about Dalvin. Also, I want to talk about tempo because it gave Florida State some some big ninety nine plays. I mean, I didn't. Well, that had to do with the turnovers, it, but but the pace gave Florida State some trouble getting lined up. We'll, we'll chew on that later on. This is the uh, front row. We're back in the swing of things. Glad you guys are along and uh, good show ahead. Stay with us as we are just getting started. to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
Welcome back to the front row, the first edition for KJ and I here in uh, 2016. A lot to chew on. We'll still get back to the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl a little bit, also talk some Florida State hoops. But uh, the big story this week, we're in that time of year, once you get past the season, that uh, players start to declare for the NFL draft. And one who did so this week for Florida State uh, is kind enough to join us now, and this, this is uh, Jalen Ramsey. And Jalen, uh, I, I guess in, uh, I'm interested in, in how tough a decision this truly was for you, given that most of the projections uh, have you as a first round pick and pretty high but just kind of walk us through uh, you know how tough a decision this was and and who you talked to, to to make that decision uh yeah thanks for having me but um me making this decision it, it was a tough decision uh you know some people might not believe it was a tough decision because I, I was i'm projected so high and i've had a good three years here but uh that's really what made the decision tough i've had a great three years here at florida state um made great friendships relationships with people here um, I've been on the best football team, I believe, in the country for three years in a row. Um, it, it was just it was going to be hard leaving leaving the situation uh, this this good of a situation here at Florida State. But I just felt like um, you know my dream being so close, and uh, I can almost reach out and grab it uh, with a little bit more hard work and determination and uh, help. I just couldn't I couldn't pass down the opportunity to go in the NFL draft. Jalen KJ here. I, I had the opportunity to play with a first round draft pick and Bobby Butler. I, I covered Florida State when Dion was here. Um, the one thing that jumped out about those two guys in my personal experience, and, and I've heard this about you, I'd like your comment on it, is they worked their tails off. They didn't just rely on the great physical abilities they had. They came to practice every day and got better. Talk about that mindset because everyone that's been around you characterizes you the same way. Yeah, yes, sir, definitely. Um, that's just I feel like that's the mindset you have to have to try, try to be great. Um, you know, for me, being good wasn't good enough. Uh, I, I wanted to be great and more. I wanted to be legendary. I wanted to, you know, leave my mark everlasting here at FSU. Um, you know, I had goals that I, I came in and I wanted to achieve. Um, I achieved many of my goals here at Florida State, and I knew that's what it was going to take all the time. I had a great supporting um staff behind me um i mean my family always supported me they always influenced me my teammates always pushed me uh, my coaches never let me slack because they saw that um that potential and that talent in me and they knew my goals and aspirations so they wanted to uh, help me as much as I, they could so i could achieve them um and after three years i, I mean i've achieved many of my goals so that just shows hard work really does pay off we're talking with Jalen Ramsey, <clears throat> excuse me, who's uh, moving on to the NFL. Started all 41 games over the last three years, and Florida State went 37 and four uh, during that stretch, and uh, finishes his career with. Wait, well, let, let's talk about the, I guess, versatility rather than the, the statistics. I mean, you came in and you played corner your freshman year. I think you were the first freshman to start at corner since Dion did it. Then you moved to safety. Uh, then you, you know, played the nickelback or star position, if you will. And then you were back at corner. Uh, how much will that help you go into the next level? And and truly, where I, I know you you moved to corner because you want to play there. I mean, is that definitely where you want to play at the next level? Just just walk us through that. Um, definitely. I, I feel like being playing every position in the defensive backfield um, is going to definitely help me in the, in the draft. I hope teams will realize that and they'll uh, watch my tape and they'll realize that I'm the most versatile defensive back uh, and I feel like the best defensive back in this year's draft. Um, Florida State has done nothing but help me since I've, I've been here my freshman year. Starting at corner, um, then it was in the team's best interest to move me to safety for the remainder of the championship year. Um, then my sophomore year playing the nickel role, have, having a lot of impact, being closer to the box, um, being able to affect plays and make plays there. And then this year, being able to go back you know, to my natural position and play corner and help out the team um, in that area and shut down the side of the field was definitely strong. I feel like my best um, position um, is corner. I feel like I'm a I'm a natural corner. I'm a prototypical corner that they look for in the NFL nowadays, uh, you know, with the size and the speed, um, being able to guard bigger receivers like Calvin Johnson, um, but also still being able to guard um, smaller and faster receivers like maybe Odell Beckham um, or Jarvis Landry. Um, so, it, I mean, I'll just – let the NFL teams do their scouting, do their reports, uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll figure out where I'm going when the draft hits. 
Uh, Jalen, we don't want to know any uh, secrets or anything that's personal between you, but characterize uh, your conversation with Jimbo when you uh, sat down with him and talked with him and, and kind of told him that you were headed on. What was his reaction? How did that conversation play out? Um, it, it was a it was a very good conversation. Um, he didn't he didn't really have a reaction. It was kind of um, you know he said he knew it was coming. Um, he supported me one hundred percent in the decision. Um, you know he didn't try to persuade me to come back or anything. He thought that I was making the best decision um, by doing this, and he thought that I was in a good position. Um, you know as a man and as a football player to be able to go on in my life and chase my dream. Very supportive. We're talking with uh, Jalen Ramsey from FSU. Jalen, when did you first learn or, or where did you first learn to become so physical as a football player? Um, that's just something that being the youngest uh, the youngest child kind of came with. Um, I mean, my brother used to bully me, my, my cousin, my older cousin who also played football. I was just the youngest in my family to play football. Um, so everybody else older, they were already rough football players and they used to bully me. So it was either you know, get tough, um, or, I mean, there wasn't another option. It was just get tough. So I just kind of inherited that from my family. Um, that's just kind of how my family was, how I grew up. They, uh, the expression payback is a you-know-what is the uh, first thing that comes to my mind right now, Jalen. <laughs> You've got a few stories you can share with them the next time you get together, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Jalen, you know, we talked about Dion, and, uh, you know, you did a lot of things. Uh, you know, when when you're reading your bio and it references Dion and you're a DB at FSU, that means you've had a pretty good career. But you also got the privilege of wearing the number 17 jersey this year uh, that was, you know, hasn't been worn since since Charlie did so. How did that come about, and, and what kind of an honor was that for you? Um, yeah, I actually met, um, I met Mr. Ward my senior year of high school. Uh, he came and spoke to us at Brentwood Academy. Um, it's a Christian school. He came and talked to us. Um, and then that relationship started then. I met him through one of my coaches there. Um, and I ended up, I was still committed to USC at the time, but it ended up that I was, uh, I ended up coming to Florida State. And so the relationship just kind of grew from there. Um, and, you know, I got to speak at his mentor leadership camp, um, last summer. And when he found out I was doing kick returns, um, you know, he texted me, he's asking me what number would I wear? Um, and it, it was speculation I would go back to 13 or things like that. And then he had, he had kind of mentioned, uh, you know, wear 17. And so I kind of just ran with it, um, you know, got his blessing to wear 17. And, um, that, that, that's a big honor right there. You know, there's going to come a time when uh, they refer to you as uh, Mr. Ramsey, like you refer to Charlie as uh, as Mr. Ward. Uh, <laughs> uh, what What's the experience at Florida State meant to you, Jalen? It's meant everything to me, honestly. Uh, like I said, my my statement release. Uh, this this has been the best three years of my life. Uh, not exaggerating, not just saying that um, because of how good Florida State has been to me, how how great of a time I've had here. But it, it really has been the best three years of my life. The people I've met, I've met some friends who I know will be friends for forever. Um, relationships that I've had, you know, and just how much the coaches have cared for me. And, um, of course, being successful. Um, you know, on the track and on the on the football team, that's always a blessing. So that's something I always remember. You just mentioned track, and I wanted to ask you about that because it's my understanding that you have Olympic ambitions as well, and it's going to be tough to accommodate that in terms of your long jumping ability when you're on an NFL roster at that point. Did that play into your decision at all, or are those ambitions still there? Um, yeah, I definitely thought about it, uh, but track's always been my second love, and football's always been my first love, so um, as for right now, I'm, I'm just I'm going to solely focus on football and training hard for the combine and pro day, um, you know, and kind of just hang up track for right now. It, it was definitely fun, a fun track career while it lasted, but um, I definitely want to go forward as a, in football as a, as a football career. Tell us something about Derwin James that we wouldn't know in terms of um, the ferocity and the approach he has for football. Oh, man, I, I feel like he showcases a lot of it. Uh, I guess one thing I, I would say about him that maybe not a lot of people know is how intelligent he is already uh, as a freshman. Not many people know is if, if you're coming in playing as a freshman, you have to be um, really intelligent. You have to be able to pick up the playbook um, pretty fast. Um, you're going to have to earn the trust of your teammates so they'll trust you to go out there, um, especially at safety because, you know, you're over top of some, some very talented corners always at Florida State. Um, 
you have to line people up. You have to line the defense up with the linebackers. So he's very intelligent. Um, and maybe that doesn't show just his athletic athleticism shows, but um, he's very intelligent as well. Well, we, we're going to put you on the spot here, Jalen. We need to know some kind of uh, little bit of uh, info on Coach Kelly, something that, that nobody knows about, something that uh, <laughs> that he's got uh, that he, he, he's not necessarily wanting the world to know because he's had such a great year this year as the coordinator. You know, we, we, we need a little ammunition. Can you help us out with that? <laughs> Y'all want me to tell Coach Kelly's secret? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't really say that Coach Kelly's done really anything different um, than he did last year. I mean, um, it, it's just been a fun year all around. We, we've all been out there having fun. You know? I mean, you, we can just feed off each other's energy, not just the players, but Coach Kelly too. Like, when Coach Kelly gets energized, we get energized, vice versa. The other coaches get energized. Um, we all just feed off each other. So it's, it's just a really good chemistry. Jalen, was the ending in the Peach Bowl bittersweet for you, the ending to your career, as it turns definitely. out? Definitely. That was definitely bittersweet. That's, um, I mean, that was bittersweet just for the season in general. Definitely not how we wanted to end the season. Um, but it's yeah, that was definitely hard ending my career um, on, on those terms. I'll ask you a final question, and we'll let you get going. Uh, the obvious answer to this is the national championship win over Auburn. But as you look back at your career, is there one play, one moment that stands out most? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely the uh, national championship win. That's that'll be that'll all time go in the record book there. Um, but for me personally, um, other than winning the national championship, I would have to say um, getting the getting the game winning interception against Miami down in Miami. Well, that was, uh, you know, when as the NFL scouts look at your tape, just send them that tape. You don't have to send them anything else. Just send them that tape from at Miami last year, and you'll be in good shape. Hey, Jalen, it's been a pleasure to watch your career unfold. And as Noel Nation uh, does, we certainly will follow you at the next level and look forward to, to your exploits, particularly if you're going against Odell Beckham and Calvin Johnson because you already called for him, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm ready for anything. All right. Hey, congratulations on your success. Best of luck to you, Jalen. Thank you. Great job, Jalen. That is Jalen Ramsey, and uh, a pretty candid conversation there with Jalen as he moves on. Well, the first thing that jumps out at you with him, with him in the conversation is his maturity. You know, he talked about uh, Derwin's James intelligence. Jalen's intelligence is is well known, but his maturity and and walking. He didn't, that, he didn't put it this way, but you have to be pretty smart to play as a freshman, if I do say so myself. Exactly, <laughs> uh, I noticed that. Uh, but but just the maturity, and, and and one of the things that I go back to. Uh, uh, is the comparison to Dion, and, and certainly we're not ready to call Jalen Ramsey, you know, Dion Sanders yet. That, that could very well happen. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I always remember when I talk to Dion's teammates, and I alluded to that in my first uh, question directed to Jalen, was that Dion kept the respect of his teammates despite the flashiness, despite the the confidence. Just like Jalen has kept the respect of his teammates because of his work ethic. He's not a prima donna superstar. He's a work-his-ass-off superstar. And there is a huge difference. Well, Jameis Winston kept the respect of his teammates, too, because he works hard. Exactly. You work hard and you're the first one in the in the locker room every day. That goes an awful long way. All right, uh, good stuff. Uh, thanks to uh, Zach's type, Florida State Sports Info, for helping us uh, get Jalen Ramsey on the horn. We do wish him the best of luck. We've got more football to talk about. We will do that uh, when we continue here on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Back on The Front Row, and time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. 
And Tim Linnefelt joins us. And Tim, I, I think you should be really impressed today because we switched up the batting order. Jalen Ramsey hit third, uh, actually second, and you're batting third right behind him in today's order. So, I mean, congratulations to you on that. Well, that's that's a how, baseball how metaphor. The, the dynamic between Jalen and, and me, you know, he uh, – he sort of sets the table, and I'm the one who uh, who clears it off. So All right. That's well, first way it's gone. Yeah. Well, no pressure here then for this segment. You're going to have to give us some <laughs> scintillating radio. Uh, Seminoles.com, I should remind you, is uh, your source for the most comprehensive coverage of FSU athletics. Uh, this week obviously includes a lot of uh, information, content, stories, uh, quotes from Jalen Ramsey, but also Roberto Aguayu who uh, announced that he was turning pro. Any surprise? I'll start there uh, that either one of those guys declared, Tim, in your mind? Uh, definitely not with with Jalen. I think you know, man, he was pretty much a, a three and out guy from before he ever even got here, and it would have taken something I think strange, to, uh, or for you know, for his career not to go the way as expected for that to change. And, and obviously, I think his career uh, certainly met expectations, if not exceeded them. Uh, and then with Roberto, I thought there I mean, there might have been a chance, just because kicker is so hard to predict in terms of the NFL draft, but. Yeah, I don't know that he could do anything to improve his stock, and he's accomplished everything I think he can in college, including uh, graduating and earning his degree. So in a lot of ways, it made sense for him to go ahead and go. Well, he's only the most accurate kicker in the history of uh, NCAA college football as he heads out the door, so that's a pretty good feather in your cap, too. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, the one uh, we won't talk at length about Roberto but reading through all his statistics I feel you know he set the bar so high because I think he missed one kick his freshman year and then maybe two last year and like four or five this year so everybody says what's wrong with Roberto 49 of 49 in field goal attempts inside 40 yards over his career that that probably resonates in the NFL where they have longer extra points these days I would think exactly yeah no that's a good that's a really good point all right so let's uh, we have to do it unfortunately. Keith and I have uh, begrudgingly had a brief discussion about the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl so far. So we'll we're, we'll uh, welcome your thoughts uh, uh, and and put them on the table. What what happened? Well, how much time you got? Uh no, it's uh it was just a strange strange kind of game. Uh and and quite frankly and I you know I, I speak for myself more than anybody else. I think that I probably underestimated Houston a little bit. I thought Florida State would win the game comfortably. Uh, if, I, if I'm being honest, but I think that maybe Houston was a little bit better than we gave them credit for, particularly up front. I thought they really had their way in the trenches. Uh, you know, the, the offensive line had a tough day. Dalvin Cook was was often getting hit, getting hit clean uh, from the second he touched the ball, uh, and you're going to have a hard time then. Uh, Sean McGuire's injury, I thought, really kind of sucked the wind out of the sails there, and then even when he was able to make it back and give him credit, I mean, he's a, he's a tough kid. Uh, but it was clear that he wasn't 100%. He was having a hard time putting any weight on that foot, and as a result, couldn't get as much distance on his uh, his deep throws. So uh, it made for a, a difficult situation there. Offensively, the one thing that's been talked about, I feel like, and KJ mentioned it already, is uh, there wasn't a lot of creativity to get Dalvin Cook involved in other ways other than handing him the football. Has Jimbo spoken about that, or what's your observation or opinion about how that went down? Not really. Um uh, he, we haven't had too much opportunity. He talked after the game, and, and I actually didn't get to his press conference because the, the locker room was open, so I didn't get to see. It didn't look like anybody had actually asked him about that. But it was kind of a strange game uh, for the offense, and it seemed like they had a hard time getting into a rhythm. Uh, you remember, especially late in the second quarter and early in the third quarter, they, they had you know they were going three and out, and a lot of times you know a couple of those plays were sacks, and so yeah, I, I don't know you know if. It's not like he just forgot to call screens or, or draws or anything like that. I don't think. I just think that the or maybe sometimes games have a way of snowballing and, and some kind of slip through the cracks. I know that's not a very satisfying answer because the one time I think they did get him the, the ball in a little bit of space and he had probably his best gain of the game. But just the offense just had just kind of a disjointed uh, effort. Kind of really couldn't get in any kind of rhythm. And you know, when you can't sustain drives, it's hard to get too upset about play calling because they don't get to call very many plays. Yeah, I, and again, I, I mentioned this uh, in the opening of our show that you know, my only criticism of the game would be directed at Jimbo about play calling. I just I thought he got too stubborn uh, and just continued to do the same thing over and over again as it related to the running game. Uh, but I don't know how much creativity they might have had available. I'm, you know, uh, you mentioned things and po- folks have talked about things. Why didn't you put Dalvin in the slot and throw the ball to him? Put him on the wing. Um, you know, run run some uh, you know routes out in the flat. Um, I mean, those are things easy to say. I don't know how much Florida State may or may not have worked on them and have been prepared to, prepared to do them, but uh, it, it got to the point where I think you have to do something outside the, of the box 
uh, and, and you just didn't see any creativity there. Yeah, but it, it, it's hard to get creative in the, in the third quarter of a, of a game like that where you're trying to come back. I mean, that's, that's certainly what I would do, you know, if, if I were playing the video game. But how many times have we seen Dalvin line up in the slot or line up out wide and, you know, catch passes? Just not something that they've really no, done. And, and that's why, you know, my criticism is not necessarily founded. It's just a, a fan's <laughs> no, criticism. No, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you because it certainly was frustrating to see, you know, Dalvin get, get the ball in the backfield and, and immediately, you know, he can make a guy miss, but, but it's, it's uh, if a player is, is basically unobstructed and, and is hitting him, like I said earlier, clean as soon as he touches the ball, I don't know anybody can get away right, from that. Right. Well, and an and a argument for the other side would be that Florida State was thin at tailback this year. And, you know, when you look at the number that he keeps on the roster, uh, you know, Jimbo <clears> – <throat> He keeps one less than what a lot of a lot of teams do in terms of scholarship running backs, and so when Pender went out, Patrick didn't mature. I, my point being, if you move Dalvin over here, but you don't have a viable option at running back, is the defense going to really care? You can about always move Freddie to, to the tailback well, position. He's versatile enough to do that. So you're not buying that. I'm nope. just making a counterpoint. Keith, let's Keith, talk to Tim instead of each other. How about right, that? Keith's being a curmudgeon today. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's a day. It it ends in Y, doesn't it? So there we go. All right. Let's 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 accentuate the positive then, shall we? Let's let's go to Rudolph at the receiver position, who I think quietly set a Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl record for receiving yards. And, you know, he he showed that earlier this year against Louisville, but certainly was an up and down season. Do you think maybe now when you look at how guys have come into their own sort of their third year as receivers, it happened for Bobo and Kermit this year and, and Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, is is that the springboard that Rudolph needs? to become the consistent, dependable, go-to guy at the receiver position? Uh, I think it definitely helps. Uh, set, a, set an FSU bowl record for receiving yards, too, by the way. I don't know if you, if you saw that. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I think you know, his season really turned when Sean McGuire made his first start. Remember, he'd, he'd been pretty quiet, and kind of, people were kind of wondering what was up with him. Uh, and then Sean came in against Syracuse, and all of a sudden Travis Rudolph was you know, out there looking like, uh, you know, like a, a pro-level receiver. There's no question that he has, I think, the talent and the ability. It's just you know, there's that 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 word again, consistency. You know, can you make it happen? Um, and and I thought if you looked over the second half of the season, he had a few games that were a little bit quieter. Um, the Florida game, which you know, for as, as well as Florida they did in that game, it wasn't exactly a, an offensive explosion. Um, you know, and I I think that the second half of that season just is should be really encouraging. And, and yeah, like you said, that that the transition between the second and the third year, you can go back and look at a myriad of guys, even even guys who did well before then, Rashad Green. Uh, had a nice freshman and sophomore season and really came on as a junior. Kelvin Benjamin, of course, uh, Kenny Shaw, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I think that that certainly should be the expectation for him. Uh, I'm curious to see what, what spring looks like with him, and particularly with, uh, with Florida State's quarterback race uh, and how that plays out. Um, and, you know, if he's adaptable to that because – Whoever's under center, I think next year is, is going to need him to be pretty dependable. Before we and we'll probably finish on the, on the quarterback topic. One comment about the defense: I've heard folks say that they gave up too many points. Uh, the only the only criticism I have of Kelly's bunch is is and it's a it's a difficult thing to handle. But but when Houston really got up tempo. Uh, that really caused Florida State some problems defensively. The quickness of their ability of getting the ball off. No, I, I agree completely. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it sort of reminded you a little bit of the Oregon game uh, in terms of tempo and pace, and just you had know, some sometimes where, where guys are just having trouble getting lined up and getting aligned properly. But I, I think at least part of that is is uh, lies on the offense, and that they just couldn't stay on the field. And when you have a team. When you're going three and out, and you have another team on the other side that's that's running as many plays as quickly as they do, uh, that's a recipe for a lot of trouble. You know, Houston ran 99 plays, right? 99. I mean, that's 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 absurd. Uh, and, and so I actually thought it, it's hard to say the defense had a great game when you give up 38 points. But given the the five turnovers, the the three and outs, I thought the defense played admirably. I wouldn't say that they were the reason that they lost. And then you know, it just sort of felt like they had their you know the thumbs in the dam the whole time, and then. By the time the uh, the the second half rolled around, they just were kind of getting out of gas. No, I, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. I really do. All right, so we turn the page. We're going to go into spring, and there'll be a quarterback competition. Ultimately, when Florida State takes the field Labor Day night in Orlando, who's going to be the quarterback? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, look, I, I still think that that Sean McGuire has the he's, he's the lead horse, if you will, and 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 yeah, I think he's going to be challenged. But I do think that he's going to be given every opportunity to, to win the job. I think, you know, there's not much about Jimbo Fisher to me that suggests that he would go with a uh, 
can go with a freshman. I know we just did it with Jameis Winston, but I, again, I, I consider Jameis Winston to kind of be at a different level in and of himself. And, you know, the idea that he would go with a, a freshman, either a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, uh, in a Labor Day game against an SEC opponent just seems, man, I don't know. They'd have to be really, really good. I mean, again, Jameis Winston level good, which, uh, no offense well, to any of the other guys, is just. James Winston types are pretty rare. But he has shown uh, a propensity to not stick with the incumbent necessarily. I mean, Golson came in last year. Drew Weatherford had been a three-year starter, and Ponder got the start. Uh, you know, and then and then there's the Jameis Winston thing when Clint Trickett may have been more the incumbent, if you will. No, I agree with I agree, and then that's why I do think it will be a, a true competition. And that's not to say that that can't change. But you know, you're asking me in January who I think in September. I, I we want right answers, Tim. <laughs> Change my mind between now. What did you, did you not get a crystal ball for Christmas? I heard you got a crystal ball for Christmas. I asked for one; it didn't come. This is Seminoles dot com. We want to know, Tim. Uh, well, we, we, I don't think anybody knows yet. That's the problem. It'll be it'll be interesting. It certainly makes for an interesting dynamic. And I'll tell you what. And uh, of course, I uh, spend Christmas a lot of it in New Orleans because that's where my wife's family <laughs> is. So, oh, by the way, the Sugar Bowl uh, and Ole Miss happened to you know grab some headlines in that town. So that game got a lot more interesting. Even though I'm sure that they're going to lose some guys to the pros too. But that. That'll be yeah, a, a lot to talk about. Lot so, so another big picture crystal ball type question then, regardless of, of quarterback or maybe because of whoever gets selected, is this going to be a playoff team next year? I think they definitely have an opportunity to be. Uh, and, I, and I think that's based on assumptions of improvement across the board. Because, look, the offensive line absolutely has to get better. Uh, the, the quarterback, whether it's Sean McGuire or somebody else, has to get better. We need to see their improvements from those receivers. Travis Rudolph, again, can, can you do – you know, you don't have to give me 200 yards every game, but can you be a consistent threat every single game? Uh, defensively, you're going to lose uh, a lot of guys, and I think there's plenty of talent coming in there. But there's definitely room for improvement there. I think you know Derwin James had a, just a, a spectacular freshman year, but a lot of times I think his his speed and athleticism were able to mask the fact that he was still learning on the job, learning on the fly. So, you know, will he be able to take another big step? Like the talent is in place. I mean, it usually is in place. Let's be honest. Uh, and if they make what I think you know you consider to be a uh, a reasonable expectation of improvement between now and next season. And, yeah, they definitely could be a playoff team. But, look, man, Clemson's got a lot coming back, too. Deshaun Watson's going to be there, uh, and, and a lot, so will a lot of those other guys. Uh, and that's going to be a huge game here in Tallahassee between Florida State and Clemson. And it could be another situation like we saw this year where there's only room for one. Well, two things about that. One, as you pointed out, that game's in Tallahassee. And, two, as we've seen the last couple of years, uh, now, it'll depend on what Clemson does Monday night, but if Clemson wins on Monday night, then they have the bullseye and the burden that Ohio State experienced this year and Florida State experienced two years ago. No doubt. It's a, it's a big dynamic, but it, I still think that Clemson's going to be good. It's not like they're, they're, they've are they been saving up for this run. And oh, they're no question. Guys, you know? No question. Well, by next year, after Clemson wins, uh, or, you know, or, or if Alabama wins, Nick Saban will be back in the NFL, Dabo will be coaching Alabama. There'll be a lot of turnover by between now and then. <laughs> landscape that's for sure hey tim great great work all season uh we will finally focus our attention on hoops i think uh in in shows to come but we had to sort of put a period at the end of the uh, football season here so thanks for your for your insight as always tim anytime uh, i really enjoyed the season appreciate you guys having me all righty that is our seminoles.com insider tim linnefelt and who guaranteed florida state will win a national title next year that's what i heard that's what i heard not only will they make the playoff they're going to win the title I don't think that's actually what he said. We'll have to check the tape. But we will come back, talk more <laughs> FSU football on the front row right after this. You are listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back. Uh, Keith and Tom let off, and then we had Jalen Ramsey batting second. Tim Linnefeld hit third. Who should we get batting cleanup in this hour? In this, I, we may have to bring uh, Mr. Lang. Uh, give, give him a microphone. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're bad out of options. Right? I mean, where do you go from <laughs> from Linnefeld? Uh, we are going to talk basketball in a little bit, Keith. But we, I want to react to some. Just finish this uh, conversation on the Peach Bowl and some points that have uh, come out over the last uh, thirty minutes or so. First. Uh, Tim, you, I think we all agree that youth showed. And, and I felt that first half against Houston, it didn't feel like the same Florida State team that took the field in November. It felt like the Florida State team in September that hadn't gotten some confidence, was a little bit insecure, unsure of themselves. 
um, afraid to make a mistake a little bit. I don't know that Jimbo would put it that way, but they were and too results oriented is probably what Jimbo would say. You're, you're focused on the result instead of the process kind of thing. And I thought they had turned that corner in November. So that surprised me a little bit. Well, I think the layoff played into that because you, you're doing it every week and then you get away from it a little bit. If you're young, it takes you a while to get plugged back into it. And, and again, I think that speaks to the youth. I think the other th- side of it is that um, they underestimated, and, and, and Tim talked about this, uh, how really good Houston was, particularly up front in their front seven. Because um, when you don't play a, a team ever – they should have listened to our show. Exactly. Their radio guy told us. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and the other thing that reminded me is I was sitting there watching the game, and, and, and again, you've already called me a curmudgeon, so I can, I can talk about being old because you have to be old to be a curmudgeon. I don't know whether you knew that or not. But it Just reminded don't ask me, me to spell it. No. It reminded me of, of my senior year when we went to Nebraska, when we played Pittsburgh here. Uh, when we had Florida on national TV, you know, we were hungry. We were excited. It was great to be there because we had not achieved that type of success. And that's exactly what you've got in that Houston program. They were hungrier than Florida State in that particular game. And, and, and you put all of those things together, turnovers, Florida State's youth, a hungry ball club, and, and the result is what it is. I, I've never liked the uh, the long layoff between the last regular season game and the bowl game, and I don't. We don't have time to discuss, nor do I have a solution to offer to that. But you know, back in the BCS days, I think Florida State went before the ACC championship game. Oh, I think they went thirty-one days. I or think 41 they went closer days. to forty yeah. days, maybe before they played Tennessee. I've never liked that in terms of what it does for flow and momentum. And the, the and they it, still go guys will say there's you know momentum doesn't matter that kind of thing. But well, it especially hurts a young team, yeah, because they get out of the rhythm. And then they got to try to find a way to get back into it. Yeah, the um, well, I'll go to tempo because I forgot what the other point I was going to make. But oh well, it, regarding the turnovers, does Jimbo need to and his staff need to assess how much contact they're having? Uh, I mean, we're going we're two straight bowl games with five straight turnovers, and the first half against Auburn in the national title game, there was a lot of rust to shake off there too, perhaps, or maybe it was just stealing signs or whatever, but. You know, do you go back and look at it and say, okay, maybe we need to hit a little bit more at this – maybe we need to tweak some things so that we're not turning it over five times in a bowl game? I don't know what the answer is other than the fallback answer is uh, – would be what we've been doing isn't working, so we've got to do something different. I don't know what the something is, but at a minimum, change it up. All right, you know? so- yeah. Make it make it different somehow. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll self evaluate and and make some tweaks where they they see fit. The tempo thing because that that to me was noticeable. And so what's happening with the tempo? And Houston went really fast, uh, you know. And the center judge gets over the ball. If the offense substitutes, they have to let the defense get on the field. So what's happening is the defense is sprinting on the field, and they get about to their position, and then the center judge moves. So they're on the field. And as the center judge moves, the entire defense is looking over at Coach Kelly to see what the signal is, and that's when the ball's being snapped, and they're not quite lined up the way they should be, and that's where they're losing it. And so, uh, again, this would be a broader discussion. Jimbo likes his offense the way it is, but looking at the last couple of years, Oklahoma State ran tempo and almost came back and beat FSU. Oregon had success with tempo. Houston had success with tempo. And the argument I'm making is that if you don't face it in practice enough – the scout team can't replicate the speed. It's sort of like the option argument. And I'm wondering if offensively Florida State shouldn't implement a little more tempo because everybody else is doing it, if not for the offensive reasons, but to help the defense. I don't think they need to implement tempo unless it's called for on the on the game. Certainly when you're going ones-on-ones, you can ask your offense to go faster in practice. But here, here's the here's the much bigger picture. The, a criticism of Charles Kelly. He's trying to substitute too much. What what you're trying to do is go down in distance, and you got certain packages and those types of things. If the offense doesn't substitute, the defense shouldn't substitute. Now, having said that, you get six or seven plays into the drive, and you might need to. But where Florida State got caught many times in the Peach Bowl is Houston did not substitute. Florida State was trying to get a heavy package in and short down or trying to get a fifth or sixth defensive back. So you just can't do that. And you say, well, wait a minute, Jones. That means you're playing right into their – well, yeah, you are. 
but you're not not getting lined up. I've got a chance if I line up my players. I got no chance if my kids can't get lined up. Yeah, that's well said. And what happens on the third downs? Because I saw it a couple of times. You know, say third and six, Florida State puts in its dime package. Then Houston converts and they go tempo. And now you've got your dime package on first down, and they run up the middle and get six and seven yards. I mean, and that's the way it's designed to work. And Houston ran it well. They did. So give Houston credit for that. But you can you can negate some of that by restricting how much package stuff you do on the defensive side. Well, especially when you have a quarterback as good as he was, who's not the most accurate passer in the world. So you don't necessarily need to have uh, nickel and dime in there for that. I mean, you need to if you have enough guys in the right place, he's not going to be able to pinpoint accurately beat you is what you're I saying. I mean, there was a yeah. time when uh, you know football was played with 11 on 11 and you never substituted. Uh, that was about 35 years ago. I, I have a little bit of a memory of that. Do you still have the leather helmet? I had a face mask. Okay. All right. We are finally going to talk basketball. Entertaining game the other night uh, that turned into a blowout with North Carolina leading, winning 106-90. to Hold that thought. Figure out how Leonard can get his team to play defense and then answer that when we come back. We For our final next segment. Week, are we going to next week's show already? No, no. We're going, we're going to the next segment right after this on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back and a shout out to Flying Bear Great American Grill, north on Thomasville in uh, uptown Tallahassee. Always a good place to uh, stop, especially if you're out in the Northeast. Uh, Brian does a great job there. They are open Sunday to Thursday, 11 to 9, Friday and Saturday from 11 to 10. And one of these days, uh, you may run into me and my family out there at uh, the Flying Bear Great American Grill. All right, KJ, you sit courtside for this uh, Florida State basketball team in your role as color analyst on the radio network. And it's an exciting team to watch, and it certainly has offensive firepower that we haven't seen under Leonard Hamilton. And uh, probably since the the early 90s Knowles, you know, in terms of what they can do offensively when you had Sura and Cassell and Ward and Doug Edwards and Rodney Dobart as your first five. But I didn't think I'd see this day, but the team is really struggling on defense. Under under Leonard, I didn't think I'd see that as much as he's emphasized defensive principles. Well, let, let's be fair. You're, you're going up against what you, which was considered the number one team in the country uh, that had not one but two players go off on you. You're usually set up where you could handle one player, one opposing player, having an outstanding night. Uh, but with Williams and Page both go off, can I interject? You're, you're not going to be able to stay with them. It, not only did they, two players went off, but they're both seniors at Carolina, which Carolina doesn't have that a lot. <clears throat> Let me take a bigger picture. I expected by now to see some defensive improvement looking at the course of the season, and I'm not sure that they've uh, made as much improvement as I thought they, they – I mean, in other words, I can, I can disregard the North Carolina game. That's a team that can play for a national title. If you look at the, the body of work, though, I thought they would be a little bit better defensively now than what they are. And, and that's a fair criticism, and I would agree with you. What, what I was going with that is that you, you have to kind of ignore the Carolina game. And you go back and look at the Clemson game. They played well for 30, 33 minutes. Uh, you go back against even Iowa, who they lost to in overtime. They played well for, for 35, 36 minutes. What they've not done defensively is play well for the entire 40 minutes. And, and again, we overuse this, and it sounds like an excuse, and those that want to treat it as such can do it, but it's because of youth. Uh, the, you're, you're, you know, Beasley and Bacon have never had to play defense before. Because they were all stars, they were they were AAU and high school phenoms. So you don't they're not asked to play defense until they get to Florida State. Well, they've only played thirteen or fourteen games where the coaches even mentioned defense to them. Uh, that will come. It just hasn't come as quickly as it should, and and that needs to be a focus. And the only way to do it is to grind on it. And I was talking with Stan Jones after the game, and, you know, he's frustrated just like Leonard's frustrated. It is worked on during practice. They do things a little better in practice than ends up being out on the court. Now they've got to take what they're doing on the practice court and make that happen in the Tucker Center or wherever they're playing. So it's not that they're incapable. They just haven't done it yet. Once you do it, 
and you get used to doing it, then it'll become second nature. They'll be better at it. But, yes, improvement has got to come on the defensive end or this team will not achieve uh, what we expect them to achieve. To be fair, Leonard has not played a lot of freshmen during his tenure no, here. No, not at all. And when he has, it's been one freshman with four upperclassmen, and now you're running out four freshmen for – you know, out of the first seven, out of your seven-man rotation, or however deep the rotation's going, I and, mean, and four of them are freshmen playing significant. And to games. illustrate that, Bacon and Beasley were absolutely beyond themselves to start that ball game. The stage was too big for them; they were they were out of their minds. Leonard had to sit them for about eight or ten minutes in the first half because they were so hyped up. I mean, think about that stage from a from a basketball player's right. perspective number one team in the country in the preseason big monday espn this time last year you're playing in a gym with 200 people in it now there's eleven thousand and millions watching and it was just too big for them but what did bacon and beasley do when they got back in the ball game yeah after they settled down they exactly played well. well that's youth that's what youth is and and one of the greatest things that jumped out and deckerhoff and i were talking about this in between breaks and during the game is you look at a guy like benji bell not nearly as highly recruited he's a first year player to florida state just like bacon and bacon and beasley and man but he's a junior because he played two years of junior college ball when he came in along with booker the senior they settled things down they didn't turn the ball over the stage was not too big for him it's mixing those pieces together that leonard has got to continue to work on doing when those situations arise when he has to so i think it was a very good learning experience for the two freshmen i think it also taught leonard and his staff a little bit about the team as it relates to these big time plays but back to your point back to the point that needs to be made they've got to continue to grind on playing defense because they can't win the the mid-level games the way they're playing right now well, and the schedule, frankly, was was a schedule that if you had a senior and upper class dominant dominated team, it'd be a much better schedule. I mean, it, it is front loaded with the big boys. Uh, Clemson was tough. That was a tough stub of the tail. Although Clemson beat Syracuse last night, so exactly. Clemson's two and zero in the ACC. Go figure how that. Goes I mean, down. well, as Leonard would say, "Welcome to the ACC." You never know. Well, the thing they have to guard against is letting it uh, snowball if they do end up starting out two and five or six which is not improbable given the way the schedule looks you just got to chip away at one at a time and back, see where back to that grind that gets talked about yeah interesting all right well you'll be there at miami this week correct that's a tall order another top 15 team what are they number 12 number 13 depending on who you look at you're right it's the schedule is front end loaded with some pretty good basketball teams all right, so we'll end the show with uh, where we started it, which is it has not been a good start to 2016 so far, KJ. How are we going to change this? Well, uh, the age-old thing, only way we got to go is up. <laughs> and, and and to overuse the curmudgeoning term, we're just going to have to grind on, Mr. Block. Just right. grind on. And that's what we'll do. We'll do that each and every Wednesday, as a matter of fact, here on the front row. Good show today. Uh, we really appreciate Jalen Ramsey uh, joining us. That was a, a good interview. I, I know you guys enjoyed that. And Tim Linnefelt as well. Uh, folks, spread the word. The uh, the front row is here to stay in, until they change the locks on the on the doors at the studio. But anyway, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll do this again next week. Hey, man,